This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3097 for Tuesday the 16th of June 2020. Today's show is entitled Season 1 Episode 7 The Big Blue Button and is part of the series Linux in Laws. It is hosted by Monochrome and is about 65 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is The lads talk to Fred Dixon product manager for Big Blue Button. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Season 1, Episode 7 the one with the big blue button. Good morning, Martin. How are Good things? Good morning, Chris. I'm well. How are you? Can't complain. You Can't can always complain, complain given the fact that it's <laughs> half past nine on a, bl- on a lovely Sunday. Sorry, sunny morning. No, it's not Sunday. Yes. Why is it so early again, Chris? I don't know. Um, some people suggested that we should do an early morning slot. It's um, it's probably because you enjoyed the last um, early episode so much. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) So, Martin, what's happening? Yeah, so what's happening? Uh, Well, obviously, this is our episode on a big blue button. Uh, Yeah, we're going to do an interview later on with one of the project leads. Um, But first of all, some news. The news. The news, yes, Martin, what's news? Okay, so my news of the week, uh, well, news or not news, whatever you want to call it, since the details of this are a little bit lacking, is the uh, fact that EasyJet has been hacked and many accounts have been um, uh, found, as well as some credit card details. So this is yet another example of a corporation not implementing their security very well. Um, obviously, BA was the uh, previous example of this uh, airline, another airline which did this. But um, on this subject, recently r- running Firefox again um, uh, after finding uh, Google has some redrawing issues <laughs> on Ubuntu, um, uh, it comes up with this standard Firefox monitor as soon as you fire up Firefox for the first time. Uh, which is quite a handy feature, I find, to warn you if you go to a um, certain website that have been hacked in the past and details have been compromised. Mm. Uh, coming, coming back to the to the to the mm. EasyJet breach, Martin. What you're going to do with the cash uh, when you uh, have sold the nine million data sets? Well, records? I don't um, think that you you read this correctly because it was. Uh, 
very much pointed at oh. our Chinese colleagues. <laughs> I'm not from Chinese origin. <laughs> well, you see, this is VP, this is basically where where something called virtual private networks come in handy, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, on the, on the subject of our, our, our friends from uh, the east, um, s similar to when uh, yourself when you're running your own servers, they they seem to be quite active in the. Um, breaking into markets as you notice when you're running your own service but um, just because you come from a Chinese IP that doesn't necessarily mean that you are in China you know <laughs> maybe I see uh, you so you're behind it Chinese all <laughs> <laughs> maybe these Chinese IPs are just handy or cheap or abundant I don't know fair point fair point however they're also quite active in. Um, I mean, they are known to have quite a lot of compute power in, in China, right? For they do. In addition to IP addresses, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Martin, you never fail to surprise me. <laughs> well, do they actually have many IP addresses for the size of the country? Is the question. I think a lot of people are living down yes. there. Yes. Do they have a larger range assigned? Do we notice? I do. I, I oh, do not know. No. Hmm something we missed um anyway so uh waiting for some more detail on this this easy jet hack because mm. it's just saying oh it was highly sophisticated is not very useful for uh the tech community amongst us who want to know what actually happened so uh but yeah i find it quite um, astonishing that these things can happen in 2020 uh with security experts freely available um one of them being a German colleague of mine, will <laughs> be, really? be happy okay. to. to uh, uh, well, I'm always tempted to ask Martin to reveal de more details about the hack, but given the fact that this is a public um, podcast, <laughs> he might be a little bit on the shy side. <laughs> well, so this, let's this, not this, do this. this. Fine line, right? um, presumably, you, you could make a lot more moolah using the, 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 the dark side and the... <laughs> <laughs> more, more, more than likely, more than likely. In other shocking news, <laughs> I just found out what the next um, Ubuntu version will be called. Twenty-one, and it's yeah. No, sorry, not not twenty-one, but rather twenty ten, which is the um, the autumn release. And in contrast to what Mark Shuttleworth will tell you, it's actually called Martin Wimpress Vanity Edition. Say that again. <laughs> um, yeah, it will be called Martin Wimpress Vanity Edition. Uh, because, uh, and why is this shocking? Because in in the past, um, uh, just uh, I think um, what's what I'm looking for animal exactly mm. animal species. In in addition to some funny adjectives, is that what I'm looking for? Um, or traits have been the names of Ubuntu editions. For example, um, hmm. the last LTS is the 2004, and what was called Focal yep, Fossa, yep. if I'm completely mistaken. And the previous one was E1 e e e e e e something, mm. yes. Ermite? Yes, Ermine. Um, Ermine, yes, yes. But yeah, Ermine, yes, sorry, yes. Uh, but Canonical decided to break with that, with that, with that rule, and now. The next edition will be called Martin Wimpress Vanity Edition. So, Martin Wimpress, how much did of you pay for this? podcast fame? If you're <laughs> listening, this is your edition. Did, does he not know this already? <laughs> and how much did he pay them for this? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, shedding more light on this, of course, this was a lame joke or pun or whatever. Um, no, actually, the next one will be called um, Groovy Gorilla. But why? Why? But why am I even mentioning this, Martin Wimpress? If you're listening. Uh, you did you did a great um, stunt on um, on Ubuntu podcast dot org or, or on the Ubuntu podcast rather, uh, because what Martin apparently did he got in touch with Martin Sh Mark uh, Mark Shuttleworth and suggested uh, Groovy Gorilla, and um, never and and they had a laugh they, they had a way of a time rather on the last Ubuntu podcast basically slagging Martin off for this. So Martin, this is another opportunity to slack you we are looking forward to martin wimpress vanity edition appearing somewhere around september 21st or something what other news are there in other news yes where were we um 
Okay, on a personal news. How... You, yeah, you wanted. Yeah, you wanted to talk about this breach, um, and what you're going to do with the cash, Martin. Well, that's that's. that's... <laughs> maybe we covered yes. that already. <laughs> um, hmm. Let's not go there. Uh, maybe p- perhaps um, make some improvements to Google on Ubuntu. That'd be a good investment. <laughs> mm. by, by, by the way, before I forget, fun fact, dear listeners, you can actually change. For those of you who are pretty annoyed with the Focal Fossa wallpaper, um, when you log into you be Gnome Shell or something like this, you can change this. In contrast, pro tip now, in contrast to the um, 1910 one, you don't have to change an ASCII, um, ASCII file as in a um, um, cascading style sheet. It's now wrapped into something called a G-variant database, which you, ge- which you have to change. There is actually a hack on GitHub allowing you to do this via the ETC alternative system. Um, links will be in the show notes. The way it works essentially is you replace the original a G-variant database with something that you have under your control, and then Ubuntu picks this up, and then you can modify the wallpaper. You can also get rid of the Ubuntu um, logo on the login screen if you choose to do so by simply making the the corresponding PNG file um, that has this name in it, zero bytes. If you remove it, um, the GDM will be pretty annoyed, but if you just make it, if you shrink it to zero bytes, basically the file will be open, GDM will be happy, but the logo, oh, sorry, but, but the Ubuntu um, logo won't be displayed. Again, details on the show notes. Couldn't resist there. Mark, if you're listening, for courtesy of Linux in laws. <laughs> One of our many listeners, yes, of course. <laughs> of course he's listening. Why wouldn't he be <laughs> Okay, um, any other news? Any other news? Yes. Well, it depends. Um, you wanted to talk about this data breach and what you're going to do with the cash selling the selling the records, no? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think we yes. covered that already. <laughs> anyway. There was um, an, an age-related DSTS coming up, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> there is even more call for it. Now. Martin, Martin still, Martin still has to rewrite this, dear listeners. So stay, <laughs> stay put. Yes, we must do feedback at some stage, but we can do that after the interview. It's also going live today, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. well, we're gonna, we got, well, we're gonna put this on on Hacker Public Radio at some. No, no, no. I meant point, the, the previous one. Um, is it today? I thought it was. Good. Oh, it's tomorrow. But Sorry. It's okay. yeah, you're right. yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it's yeah. tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah, we're recording this on the 20th of May. But you probably won't listen to this before early June on Hacker Public Radio. Um, subject to availability of slots on this beloved website. Ah, I've, I've, I've it can, yes. for you, um, Chris. Um, yes. Hacker Public Radio. Do you know what it's actually named after? A website dedicated to unedited podcasts on anything hacker-related? Yes and no, but did you know that there is actually a hacker radio as a device? Uh, I read okay. about this. No, yes. but, uh, but I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't know the, de- the technical details. Let's ask the hacker among us. Martin, what is, what is this hacker radio thing? Well, um, so, before the internet... <laughs> <laughs> music was was uh, music and and speech was transmitted either by uh, waves in the atmosphere, or by um, telephone lines, or by um, physical devices like records and so on. Right. Anyway, so, uh, that was that was the point in time when Martin was around twenty <laughs> years of age, give or take. <laughs> so uh, yes, so radio being one of these devices that has a. Um, a, a recepting uh, capacity for transmitting these wavelengths. Um, anyway, so be, being very popular with with uh, young people, <laughs> <laughs> like yourself, <laughs> in 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 those days, and uh, not having any digital uh, media available, let alone transport. Um, there were a lot of companies making physical devices to receive these uh, wavelengths, right? So, for, whether it's for television or radio waves and so on. Uh, not, well, not radio waves, but you know what I mean. Um, and Hacker was one of these companies who built radios. Um, so, 
Interesting. Yes. And if you uh, put this in your favorite search engine, you will find some examples. Or you, uh, I can okay. show you one in my garden. <laughs> you have a hacker radio in your garden. Okay. Yes. Well, no, in not in in the garden, garden, but in the. Does that help with breaching airline? websites I wonder well this is the thing you see there's um, <clears throat> uh, so many people are using the internet that going back to <laughs> I see <laughs> back to, to analog is much safer full, 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 full disclosure Martin is not associated with the easy jet hat at, uh, easy jet hack at any at any time this is just me making fun of Martin um, British police don't go after him please that was just a joke I think it's. Uh, I think it's working. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And there was something I want to talk to you about. Go but for it. I keep <laughs> Not again. <laughs> so, uh, yes, Nvidia. Uh, um, uh, 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 <laughs> yes, uh, Nvidia. Indeed, Nvidia. Nvidia. Indeed, yes, indeed, Nvidia. Indeed. I have a comment. Martin, Sorry, before you start, yeah. I have a comment. Nvidia, you need to make it, please, faster. Yeah, stuff. please go ahead. Um, yes. Because training uh, various. Well, it doesn't really matter what you're training, right? It's still taking hours rather than seconds and you know we're in 2020 now i expect better from you so get cracking on some better hardware please <laughs> anyway carry on okay, okay um martin had some issues with the browser recently where he blamed chrome uh, for not being able to display certain websites maybe martin you can share more details no, it's, <clears throat> it's more um not so much not being able to display certain websites it's when you have it open for a while and uh, maximize and minimize it, uh, change to other things on other application on Ubuntu, it just um, becomes a mess and you need to basically resize it or redraw it. Uh, it leaves stuff behind, right? It's not refreshing itself very well. Um, Martin, of course, immediately saw Chrome as the culprit in this context. Um <laughs> Whereas I tried to make fun of him by saying, "No, look, this may be an, an, an Nvidia problem." Well, uh, because as we all know, Martin is running this on his Ubuntu uh, box that has some sort of high-end GTX. What is it, twenty seventy in, in, incorporated? Which right? is still not very impressive. But anyway, um, yeah. So, so I mean, like yourself, presumably. I don't know. How many browsers do you run, Chris? I, uh, I run many browsers. Uh, uh, Chrome has displayed this about phenomenon. two. <laughs> Two. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Um, now the truth, dear listeners, may be in the middle in terms of if you take a look, if you take a close look of, of how Chrome is architected, and this is basically what you see across operating systems. It goes for Windows, Mac, as well as 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 Linux. You'll see that actually Chrome does a lot of things directly on the GPU. Um, there's something for, for example, on macOS called the the Chrome, I think GPU render or whatever, or, or, or what the or, what, or whatever the process is called. So if you're encountering similar issues, take a look at. Uh, ultimately, I would of course take a, recommend taking a look at the Chrome source code. But given the fact that this is quite a few um, megabytes in size, um, you may be better off using your search engine because Chrome has a lot of documented as well as undocumented command line switches um, some of them being able to control the GPU directly if I have the time you'll find more details in the show notes because Martin brought this up in kind of short notice I didn't have the time to research this properly but let me do some digging you just may be able to fix this using the command line as such so stay tuned mm. I may have an update at a later at a later episode. Martin has already decided to delete Chrome from his hard drive. It's it's it's, it's getting that to stage. that stage. <laughs> not, no, um, but when the likes of Firefox and Opera can function uh, without these issues, then why bother, right? So Chrome, you haven't done a very good job. Sorry. Well, I mean, on the on the upside, Chrome is one of the fastest browser browsers I know. Mm, and that, of course, that's... directly relates to rendering performance. Does anybody actually benchmark browsers? Uh, there are a couple of websites for, dedicated to this. Um, you'll find details in the show notes. So, okay, I think now is the time to bring on our, our guest. guest. Yes, and let's do the feedback after the interview. First of all, great to have you on the show, Fred. 
Um, why don't you introduce uh, yourself to our listeners for, for those few who don't know uh, you, never mind the Big Blue Button Project yet. All right. So my name is Fred Dixon. I am the product manager for Big Blue Button, which is an open source web conferencing system for online learning. I have been managing the project for over 10 years, and I am the one responsible for the releases. So if you have good things to say about the product, uh, I'll pass it on to developers. If you have things you want to improve, you can tell me. Great. Um, can you share a little bit about, about, your, about your personal project and how you got into computer in the first place? So let me, I'm a, I'm a computer scientist by trade. And where I discovered Big Blue Button uh, was at Carleton University here in Ottawa, Ontario. So in an academic environment, it was a project that had been built by a student, a master's student at the Technology Innovation and Management Program at Carleton University in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And so they had built a system, all in open source components, and they were using it to teach online. And I was networking around the university, looking for students that I could mentor because I had gotten a lot of mentorship early on in my career, came across this project and thought, there's something here. Like open source is a really powerful way to disseminate a product. And then the business model is you can provide services and support, but you have to solve a problem first. And if you do that and lots of people start using it, then you create a, a market where you can offer additional value into it. Like pick any open source software like WordPress or others, right? It's a very very well-practiced business model. And I thought that for virtual classrooms, this business model would work well because academia is usually fairly open to trying open source. I mean, even back then, 10 years ago, it was even more so. Um, so fast forward today as an open source project, we, thanks to the community, we're localized into, I used to say 25 languages, but I'm probably around 35 now. Wow. Uh, it's used all over the world. Uh, every corner, we have tens of thousands of downloads a week, uh, a million plus visitors on our website. Uh, the usage of it on our mailing list has just, the messages have skyrocketed. Like I wake up every morning and there are a hundred messages in our developer mailing list. I have a feeling this is what Linus must have felt like in the early days. Like I can't read them all anymore. Like, you Amazing. know. Yeah, that sounds like a well. This, 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 these times obviously you're going to be super busy, aren't you? So thank you again for joining us on the show. Um, so, so it sounded like when when you just came across it rather than being involved with with the guy who actually started the project himself, is that correct? Or? Yeah. So Richard Alam, who's the CTO, uh, had been working on it for a year, and in 2007, I kind of met him and we really hit it off. And I said, okay, I think there's something here. Um, and at the time, I was working at another company. So I've started a number of companies myself. And I said, okay, let's, I'm going to get two years into this. I'm going to give two years in towards this project to see if we can get it going as an open source project, provide some hosting, professional services around it, and focus on one market, which is online learning. And, and I have to say, like, Big Blue Button is used around the world in many different contexts. If you have a core product, which is providing audio, video, slides, chat, screen share, you know, all you know, record yeah. and playback, accessibility, all the core things you expect in any web conferencing system, commercial or not, hmm. you know, when you focus on a market, you build on that core and then you extend your features towards a target market. So in Big Blue Button, we built things like shared notes, uh, multi-user whiteboard, hmm. breakout rooms. Breakout rooms took us a while, but these were all okay. things that when you want to, you know, challenge people to learn, right? Teachers do not want to stare at a screen and talk into the void. They want students responding to polls, chat, emoji, breakout rooms, you know, raising their hands. They want engagement. So, you know, if you think of a video conferencing system where, you know, 12 webcams yeah. come up and you're just talking with each other, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at it from a pedagogic point of view, there are more things that could be done. So we decided to focus on building out features on top of a strong core that would be attractive to an educational uh, use case scenario. Yeah, I can I can see the benefits of this. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, myself and Chris were uh, regularly <laughs> doing these kind of sessions for for customers with a commercial product, but you don't have the engagement so well as as, as doing these kind of things in person. So it sounds like your um, like the button is actually more suited to these kind of activities. And um, uh, yeah, so so education is is not really its main use case. I would say. It, um, 
uh, presumably you, you're finding that with uh, the downloads and the requests is that um, people are using it for you know, pure uh, meet, uh, you know online meetings uh, user groups those kind of things in all cases like they're they're finding that if they're inside of a corporation and they want to set up their own in it like behind the firewall conferencing system big blue button provides them a, an option to do that if you are doing like one-to-one coaching you know and you want to just have a purpose-built application for that big blue button will allow you to do that if you want to talk you know give online classes that's that's the primary focus for big blue button i i can share with you like one of the largest deployments of big blue button is actually the u.s department of defense so they have been running it at scale for over five years now excuse me and they call it defense information systems agents the defense information systems agency call it dcs distributed collaborative systems and they 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 adopted it it's not going to sound unsurprising. They adopted it because it was open source. They could scan every line of code. They had full access to everything. And they used it to build an internal system that uh, made available to people in the military. So there's an example of a non-educational use of the product. But the core capabilities of BigBlueButton enabled them to do it. Uh, an interesting perspective there. Um, I'm I, I just wondering, I reckon since this whole pandemic thing broke out globally, your download figures must have skyrocketed. Do you have any indication of what the increase is since more and more people are working from home these days and companies are just going for conferencing solutions um, beyond the commercial competition out there like the like the teams of the world, like the Zooms of the world and so forth? So I haven't checked the numbers recently, but while a few weeks ago, there were tens of thousands of downloads every week. Um, I'm just counting the unique IP addresses on the, um, the download server, the package server. So okay. it is far more than it was before. And this is all correlated with, you know, the Twitter traffic, the uh, traffic on our website, the traffic on um, the mailing list in terms of like the developer mailing list. So BigBlueButton has had a huge deployment. And I will share with you, like, it's there's a bunch of components that have been released over the years that build kind of more of a complete solution. So a lot of cases, there are four things that people will leverage. If Let's say they're using Moodle. There's a Moodle plugin that's available. There are currently 1,400 plugins available on the Moodle database. They rank the top 20 by popularity, like downloads in the last 12 months. The Big Blue Button plugin ranks at number three. And I think it's going to take over the number two spot in probably a couple more weeks. So a huge number of people are using Moodle. There's BigBlueButton itself, which is open source. And then there's two other components that people are leveraging. One is uh, we if you don't have Moodle, you still want kind of a simple front end that lets you log in, create a room, invite people to the room. And then uh, after your meeting's done, see the recordings and manage the recordings. So we built a front end called GreenLight. The idea right. is like... Uh, Greenlight is giving you, um, you know, a very simple front end that you could log in with OAuth if you're Office 365 or Google Apps, or you create your own accounts. It's a Ruby on Rails application. I see. The other open source component is something called ScaleLite. And so uh, two months ago, we worked with <clears throat> Cijo Liverpool University in China, and they were using Moodle, and COVID-19 had struck. So they needed mm-hmm. to be able to um, host Big Blue Button at scale. And what we did was we built out a load balancer for them. So they could take a pool of 15 okay. Big Blue Button servers uh, nice. and to Moodle, make it look like a single Big Blue Button server. Nice. Okay. So, so with Greenlight as a front end, ScaleLite to <clears throat> manage a pool of Big Blue Button servers and make it look to, let's say, Greenlight or Moodle as a single server and ability to have like a pool of big blue button servers in the back end, all the pieces are there that if a school or university or organization wants to run big blue button at scale, they can do it. And so I was chatting with some folks earlier this week. This is in Germany. Uh, they had set up big blue button at scale with over 600 servers using these open source components. And they did, wow. not, they did not have to talk to us. They basically okay. went through the docs, joined our mailing list, and that was fantastic, amazing, because that was our goal. Every student in the world should have access to a high-quality online learning experience. 
we, as an open source project, create tools to enable instructors to engage the remote students. We have created the most popular web conferencing system for online learning, which is BigBlueButton. Nice. Okay. Uh, just because you just mentioned Germany, um, uh, fun fact, I'm German by birth, um, and I see a particular uptake here in this country. For example, I'm helping to organize FrostCon, which is one of the biggest community events in any given year in Germany. And this year, unfortunately, we had to decide to move this to virtual. So we're using a big blue button instance, not only for, for hosting the conference in August, but also for all of the prep work. So as a matter of fact, tonight, um, we have the next org team meeting using a big blue button instance. Do you see a particular uptake in Germany uh, now that you mention that? Or is it just kind of across Europe, across the world? Or are, are there any other or are, they, or are there countries, specific countries, where you see a particular strong uptake? So let's talk about Germany for a moment. Definitely, we see a strong uptake. I mean, you can look at the Twitter feeds. The, the, if you look at just searching Twitter for any tweet that has the word big blue button, um, I have to learn German because half of them are in German now. I mean, Twitter will translate it for me. But okay. There, there is a tremendous amount. And part of this is comes back to data privacy. Okay. So like we as a Canadian company, we don't have any legal status in Germany. There's no German mm -hmm. arm of, of, of us. So, um, but as an open source project, the door is, the, the opportunity is there for German-based organizations, like the one I mentioned earlier that set up over 600 servers, to fully leverage uh, BigBlueButton. So uh, because it's open source and because you have access to all the code and because the tools are there to host it at scale, we see very large-scale deployments now occurring, and a lot of them are occurring in Germany. And we, again, think this is fantastic because we're getting a ton of feedback on the product and ways mm -hmm. that we can improve it. And let me just say up front, right, your listener may be asking, well, is Fred going to say Big Blue Button is a secure system now? Or does it fully support GDPR? You know, and, and pick any other criteria. And as a manager of open source projects or the maintainer, I would say, like, if anyone in the world tells you their system is secure, they are lying to you because it's just <laughs> levels of security. And and we try very hard to make it secure. And I, there's information on our website and all the things we do in terms of the, the encrypted the, the information going back and forth and so on. In terms of support for the General Data Rights Protection Act, um, we have things which we do in terms of, like, you can turn off recordings. There's more things that we can do. And our community has been actually helping us put together some documentation. If you go to our the docs.bigbluebutton.org, and there's a document there for privacy, and this is a this is an evolving document in terms of okay, you want to support GDPR or privacy? Here are the things that Big Blue Button uh, collects, and here is the way to reduce that. And um, this is this is awesome because we are getting other people to contribute their skills and expertise. Like we're developers, but we when you work with the community, things just happen so much faster. So a lot of things is happening when your you know readers listen to this or your listeners listen to it. Um, you know it'll probably be further along than it was you know at the point of time we recorded it. But with regards to Germany, yes, a huge increase, par partly because I think we do a pretty good job of you know the conferencing part, especially for online learning. It is fully open source. The pieces are there to run it at scale. Uh, there's active work in terms of making sure that we do the best possible support for GDPR. And there's a community of people around the world who have been working with Big Blue Button for many years. We all share a commonwealth of in every improvement to Big Blue Button has a multiplic effect now that everybody using it gets to uh, benefit from it. So whether you're an educational institution, whether you're a not-for-profit or a commercial company, if you're building on Big Blue Button, the opportunity is there to fully leverage it and engage with the community and contribute back. Excellent. Yeah, no, that was one of my questions is kind of, uh, you know, how is your project organized and, and do you get more collaboration from external parties that you didn't have before? It looks like you have a set of core developers, right, that, that seem to look after the project, but do you get more contributions nowadays? Yes, we we do. We have, we have guidelines we wrote up years ago in terms of like how to right. send us pull requests, how to contribute, how to interact. And we more and more now, uh, we get people in our community um, sending us 
pull requests to improve parts of the product. And that's amazing because we are, we still, we care a tremendous amount about the usability of the product, making sure that it's easy for instructors and students to get in, the stability of the product, all these things around it. Um, and now when other people contribute, that's just amazing because now we are, we are, we can see the product accelerating faster and faster and things that we normally would have to do ourselves. If other people can take a shot at it, we can review it. It's less work for us. Uh, they have a vested interest in it and the project just goes just um yeah that's the whole, the whole idea behind it, isn't it? so so is, i mean do, do you have a commercial uh, uh company as well that looks after for example uh commercial versions of blue button like many open source projects there are usually the enterprise version don't speak it's, it's i mean i can imagine that you're you know compared to people that use teams or zoom or whatever they they might want to go with propriety or supported versions of a piece of software right so um, right. And so there are a number of companies uh, that are in the Big Blue Button ecosystem. You'll find them listed at bigbluebutton.org. Uh, I work at one of them as well. And they're all providing hosting for Big Blue Button to various parts of the world. That list was probably going to grow over time. Uh, but yes, the, you know, I studied when I, when I Try, when I decided to go for the open source business model with myself and my co-founder, I looked a lot at why other open source projects fail and they fail because they don't make money. So we have tried very hard to offer, uh, you know, hosting and support. And that model has worked uh, for us over the years and has worked for many other companies involved in the Big Blue Button ecosystem. So there are options for commercial support that you can find at bigbluebutton.org. Just click on commercial support. Mm-hmm. And companies are there. So if if it, another interesting question comes up is people ask, where can I donate money to the project? Okay. And we're very clear on this in our documentation. We do not accept donations. I think it's a silly way to run an open source project because it implies that you're working for charity. If you are a commercial organization, you know, government entity, and you want to make use of Big Blue Button and you want to... Uh, be supporting the project, go to one of the companies that provides commercial support and buy a support contract from them or buy some hosting. Much of that revenue goes right back into improving the product. The company makes revenue, you get support or hosting. Um, The resources available to companies grow because they're making more revenue. Like it all works out. So we we really believe strongly in the the, the social benefit of what we're doing. And it's just... So pleasing to see people tweet yeah. screenshots. You know, I'm in South Africa and, you know, we set up Big Blue Button and now we can teach students from remote villages. Like, oh my God, that makes us all feel so good. And we also believe in the entrepreneurial opportunities of, you know, taking something that we've built, making it available in open source license, and then going back to the community and saying, hey, there, if you want hosting, we can do this for you. Like, you don't, you have the option of setting it up yourself at scale, but for many organizations, they would rather have someone else do that for them. And that's where the companies can help out. Of course, of course. Yeah, it makes sense, right? And and so, so how do you see the, the, I mean, obviously it's accelerating at the moment. So how do you see going forward uh, the future of the uh, project? So, speak? so there is, so the way I think of it is this, there are commercial options out there and there is nothing that a commercial option is doing that we can't eventually get to as a project. So I see the capabilities of Big Blue Button, the core capabilities strengthening over time in terms of scalability and other areas. Right. Um, and I also see us deepening our value proposition for the educational market because I'm not trying to outbeat the competitors at their own game. That's a kind of a fool's errand. I've learned enough from you know entrepreneurism that you focus on a market, provide really good value for that market, and then you grow from that market. And to be honest, the educational market is huge. Like with COVID nineteen, yep. <laughs> like even bigger, it, it is yeah. it is way beyond what any one company could do. So when you when I see instances of Big Blue Button setting up that are running six hundred servers to support like large scale educational uh, needs, I think that's it. That's exactly what we were trying to do. So I see that every time we improve each with each iteration with each with each improvement our value proposition for online learning gets stronger and stronger. And again, that's, that's the winning strategy from my experience is to focus on a market, you know, add value. And in terms of 
you know, with the educational market, there, there are some, every university college has a learning management system. Like it's Moodle or it's Canvas or it's Genzibar or it's Schoology, you know, or it's Blackboard or it's D2L. Like there's, and then there's like just dozens and dozens of others around the world. Moodle is the dominant one worldwide, not so much in North America. So we have focused a lot of engineering resources into making sure the integrations with the learning management systems are deep. And it's a very easy for an instructor and students to, to get together and click, you know, one link and then you're into a virtual class, you collaborate, you go back, you leave. And then the LMS, the recording there is visible for, you know, some short time afterwards. Yeah. And that ease of use, again, reflects how much we're focusing on that market. So, you know, ease of integration, engagement, and over time, analytics, uh, so that we can get back into, okay. like, Moodle is an example. Like, we're close to an updated feature, which is telling you, which will be able to tell the instructor with activity completion, you know, they could mark an activity as being, okay, mark this activity as being completed, like telling Moodle, okay, Moodle, Marcus has completed when the students have spent more than two hours in an online class, right? So you have a couple classes, the time is going back into Moodle, and at some point, the activity threshold is reached, and then Moodle says, okay, the students have completed this activity, like check. Mm, and nice. so that you get there when you really focus on in, in integration and we do a lot of that. That's okay. a very that's a good strategy. Sorry, Chris. Carry on. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry. No, um, interesting perspective. Indeed. Uh, switching gears now a little bit. Um, I noticed that the software is licensed under lesser GPL. Can you explain a little bit about the background for that decision and um, uh, the implications on, contrib on, on contributors? Right. So the LGPL uh, version three was uh, a good enough license when we started the project 10 years ago. And like we're, you know, we could change it because we have contributor agreements signed for all the code that's been committed to the project. So the Big Blue Button Inc., the legal entity, owns the code and has agreements with all the contributors, myself and everyone else. So we do have the option, the, 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 the Big Blue Button Inc., uh, which is a not-for-profit legal entity incorporated in the province of Ontario. Um, it, it, you know, the license could be changed if we want. So we didn't, we wanted something that was very permissive and LGPL was as good. There may be a world where we get to where it's the Apache public license, um, which allows you even more freedom. The only place that this really kicks in is LGPL. This requirement is that you must be able if you're linked in, it's, the, it's basically the lesser GPL. If you get linked in to a product through the LGPL, that product must be able to run standalone without. Otherwise, it's not really a component. It's it's like the product. Mm -hmm. So the only part the LGPL is a little tricky is if you're one of the parts is if you're going to build mobile apps because the mobile apps are basically uh, built in, and then you it's really hard to to meet all the criteria of the LGPL because of the way the vendors uh, like the app store and others digitally sign and encrypt the app. So it's not something that you can pull apart and run without it. If you do the Apache public license, you're, you're, you're able to do that. It turns out we, in the early days, we looked at building a mobile app for big blue button, but because of Apple's support for WebRTC, and obviously Chrome has good support, uh, big blue button just runs as a single page web app. There is no app okay. to install. And I see. you you can run it on the latest like iPhone, iOS 12.2 and above or Android 6.0 and above. You could go to demo.bigbluebutton.org with your phone and just launch into a session. And you can see the audio, you can see the video, you can see the screen. There's only a few limitations, one of which is you cannot share your screen on a mobile device, but not something you really need to do a lot of anyway. <laughs> but we're, we don't, that it was huge for our project because it meant that we could focus on a React-based interface. So it's, the front end is all JavaScript, all HTML5, uh, using React uh, to manage all the layout and the and UI updates. And that, and we built it with a mobile-first uh, plan so that if you open it up on an iPad, iOS, Android tablet, it will work. And it was a responsive interface. So it's the same code that's running on the desktop, laptop, Chromebook, tablet, phone. And um, in that regard, the LGPL license is still working fine for us. 
Interesting. Yes. Um, just wondering, uh, last question on licensing from my side. D d did the LPGL help with um, plugin uh, development in terms of if, okay, if I want to contribute code, I have to sign a CLA. Fine. Um, but then if I want to keep this closed source, I can do so by not contributing the code, right? Exactly. So we, the code for Big Blue Button is like, we didn't choose the FRO, the AGPL, which is a very, mm -hmm. I, I, yes. it's, it's a very, LGPL is very permissive. So yes, if you, as long as there's no distribution event, and that's the key thing, as long as you're running code on your servers, as long as you're not distributing the code elsewhere, um, you're fine. You can modify it, right? This is what Google does. They just take open source. They run it on Google servers. It, there's no distribution event that's triggered. So they don't have to disclose the source. Um, so in that regard, you're great. Like you could take it internally as a, you know, as a commercial company, you could take this internally. You could brand it, modify it, the license, you're on side with the license. Uh, you just can't put it up in a repository and distribute the code to someone else because you can't take away the rights that you got to the code. You can't take those rights away from someone else if you distribute mm. a derivative work based on BigBlueButton. So any extensions that you would make to the product, you know, you must provide full access to the source code under the terms of the LGPL to someone that you give the code to, whether you're, you know, giving them on a, on a, on a CD or you transfer it on a USB stick or you, you know, make it available for download on the internet. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's what open source is about, right? It's, it's access, the right to see the code, the right to make changes. Um, and, you know, I think pretty much everybody uh, respects it, you know, and, it's not something I've worried about. Like there's just so many people contributing to the project. Um, there is a, I will say there is a little confusion sometimes. Like, can people call it Big Blue Button? Can they use our logo? No. Like you have to be very, we have logo, we have trademark guidelines because the copyright, the, the logo, the, the trademark to the logo is different than the copyright to the code. And, uh, but again, most of the times when you see Big Blue Button, um, it's like an official big blue button from from the project. And when you see it listed on websites, a lot of people will attribute to that hey big blue button is, you know, this website does not is not endorsed by or promoted by Big Blue Button Inc. Big Blue Button is and Big Blue Button and the Big Blue Button logo are trademarks of Big Blue Button Inc. Yeah. And they link back to our website, which is which is what you want. Hmm. Okay, makes sense. Um I mean uh, looking at uh I mean I think Chris said it was on um Big blue button as well um, for for his uh, user group. But um, how did you end up with with Ubuntu to start with? And have you do you have any plans to look at other uh, Linux versions? So I maintain the packaging for Big Blue Button, and right. Ubuntu was the the default one that we chose like ten years ago, hmm. and we're still doing it. Um, you will probably start to see Big Blue Button on other platforms we made the choice for doing Ubuntu and only Ubuntu for the following reason. It is a lot to package BigBlueButton. There's lots of components, a lot for the resources we had then and even um, less or so now, but, but going back in time, there was like, okay, well, how can we do this? And we had two choices. We could do, we could focus on a Linux distribution and do a really good job, or we could try to support two or more distributions and maybe not do such a good job in any of them. And we, cho we chose quality over quantity. And what that meant was we just focused on making sure that if you have Ubuntu 16.04 now, soon to be 18.04, uh, you got a really good chance that you got a good install. And then if people were posting to the forums, we knew what they were trying to do. As opposed to, you know, we're not the experts in Arch Linux or Fedora or Red Hat or, mm -hmm. you know, CentOS or Ubuntu. We just, so we focused but you may see it other distributions in the future. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you have limited resources, you, you focus on uh, on one. But uh, yeah, the obvious question would be the yeah the, the Fedoras, the Centroses, the Red Hats, really. Uh, is that next, I guess? Or, I mean, I don't know if you have any direct plans for this. So. I, will, I, will, I will say the appropriate thing, which is like we have, pl we have desires, we don't have long-term roadmap or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the mantra in our project is we release on quality, not dates. Right. So we never give a date for anything because, you know, I could tell you this feature will be available, you know, we'll ship it whatever next Monday and then you'll be like, great, it got shipped on time. 
does it work, right? Like you don't really care about the time. You care about does it work? Like is this feature going to work now? And we always land on making sure the features and the product works. Um, I, I get it. Um, people, you heard it here first. Fedora is definitely on the card. It's just a matter of when. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> jokes, jokes aside, Fred. Um, I when I when I when I looked at the GitHub issues, I saw the request for eighteen oh four, which is the last. Oh, sorry, the the, the second. Um, sorry, the la the, the the LTS before the last one. Um, with the with the new version of of BBB, any any timelines for this in terms of anticipated timelines when you think it's ready? I think you you entered alpha testing with this. So we've actually been building it for eighteen oh four internally now for months. Okay. So when COVID-19 hit, it became clear that we wanted to do some things in the current version of Big Blue Button uh, in response to the overwhelming demand. So we've been iterating on the current version of Big Blue Button a bit longer than we had expected, <clears throat> just because there was so much that we wanted to do and needed to do. But the next version is building. It's on 1804. Um, our goal is to get it out earlier as like a call it an early beta. Like the features won't be finished, but we would rather see a lot more people use it um, okay. earlier on and give us feedback on it. And the idea is we, we're not going to put something out there. So the offsetting criteria is we're not going to put something out there that just obviously doesn't work. So we are going to iterate it internally to the point where when someone tries it out, it may not have all the features we want, but they have a good experience. There's no sense to put something out there and people say, well, these 10 things are broken. Okay. We can figure that out and fix it first. And maybe people have to wait a bit longer. But again, it comes back to, you know, when you try something out, you kind of want it to work. It's nice to get things early, <laughs> yeah. but, but we're not communicating to anybody a date for the next release. We're just expressing that we are yeah. working on it. Uh, our goal in the project has always been to put out quality releases. And even if we call something an early beta, we still have a desire to make sure that, you know, the things that you can do in the product work. Um, one of the highest compliments we got years ago was there was another open source project uh, for the conference team. And someone said, look, I've tried both projects. This other project has more features, but it was very easy to find something that didn't quite work right. Uh, your project, um, you have less features, but everything seems to work. And that made us feel very good because that's what we were trying to do. Okay. Martin, did you, did you have a final? I'm just worried about, uh, I'm a little bit cautious on, on time. Um, yeah. There so was, I've, I've, yes. For, for there me, was, was, I had yeah. one final question, really, which was, um, I mean, you, you've been doing uh, Big Button for 10 years, I guess, or something along those lines. Um, is there something you will be doing for the foreseeable future, or are you thinking of um, doing something else altogether? <laughs> no, we're just getting started. Like, the... <laughs> Okay. You know, the, the, the critical mass has, has occurred, right? It just, it is, uh, it is now the challenge. Now the goal is to leverage the worldwide interest in what we're doing and allow the project, enable the project to continue to grow. And through that growth, again, the entrepreneurial opportunities and the social benefit, both of those can be realized. And I just think with the amount of interest in the project and the need for it, um, there's nothing else that we would rather be doing right now is just growing Big Blue Button. Okay, that was a very interesting final statement, Fred. Um, I would really, we, we rather, we would really like to thank you for being on the show. Yes. Uh, much appreciated. Um, let's just say the word will be spread not only in Germany but uh, to other people we talk to because, as I said, we run it ourselves. Just a great system, and thank you very much for bringing it to life. My pleasure, guys. Thank you as well. Thanks very much. Okay, yeah. okay Martin. Um, so, so hey, that was the interview with yes, with Mister with Mister Dixon from um, a project called Big Blue Button. What do you make of it? Brilliant. No, it's uh, he's obviously spent. Uh, what, what I like about it is really the approach that they've taken here is um, the quality first one, uh, making stuff work. And, and yes, people are asking for oh, can we have it on uh, Ubuntu eighteen, nineteen, twenty? This, not the other. But uh, no, I like the uh, you know with with these kind of. Uh, software so you want just want it to work right it um uh okay you may have to install an older version of ubuntu on a vm or whatever but nah um making it work Indeed. is is, is a, a good mantra having seen the opposite as well right as as, as we do in <laughs> in other projects where it takes ages to uh, get something up and running because it's kind of 
Not yeah, and yet. of course we have a worldwide exclusive first now because yes. people, you heard it here first. It's going to come to Fedora <laughs> and CentOS. Yes, just a matter of time. Uh, um, where were we? We yes. still have to do feedback. Feedback, yes. uh, Mr. 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 Yes. So let me dig Mr. up Zimmerman. the feedback um, because okay. that was a very interesting feedback um, posted as a comment, if I'm not completely mistaken. On, on Hacker Public Radio, um, the website that we use to publish the show. Oh, yes. And um, uh, a like comment it? by Bendy dating to dating back to the fifth uh, to the twelfth of um, of May, regarding the um, the previous episode um, reads: Wow, I didn't realize Skynet was really Nvidia. I'm going to bin my graphics card right now. Thank you so much for this heads up. Bendy, anytime. Uh, stay put. Mm, there well, will I, be... I would say, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll just, just send, it, send it to me, right? I'll, I'll happily have <laughs> a few more envisage cards. Apparently, uh, Google are running low on them as well at the moment, so you may make some money out <laughs> Martin, of course, isn't impressed by this revelation, but hey, <laughs> what can I say? And I think, but we have there was more another feedback. feedback. Yes, yes. Do you want to read this? If I can find it, bear with me. Do a, do a break, commercial break. Commercial um, break. Okay, break. Wait, man, I have to find it first. <laughs> Virginia, right? Virginia uh, at gmail.com. Right. So now we're back from the break. <laughs> back from the break. Right. Feedback from Virgie. Um, which reads, hi there, I wanted to reach out to tell you how much I appreciate linuxinnors.eu, and I especially love the open source resources you mentioned there. One thing that I found out was that lwn.net on your page here, linuxinnors.eu, and it really provided some interesting insight. Digging into it a bit more, I found this helpful guide uh, in the show notes. It really helped me to better understand open source software as a whole, I think it would be a nice addition to your page, especially for all your users. Thanks again for the great resource. All the best, Virgie. Virgie, thank you very much for that feedback. Um, as I already said in my mail, uh, we're working on completing the website. So yes, uh, any feedback, and that goes not only to Virgie, but also to any other uh, listeners that there are out there, any feedback on the show, its format, and needless to say, also on Linux in Lost.eu is appreciated. Um, any comments for Hacker Public Radio? Yes, they have their own mailing lists, so feel free to get in touch with them there. Um, what's missing, Martin? Still, sponsors. The... Sponsors are missing. Sponsors. Um, yes, we're going to do that actually as part of the commercial as part of the commercial break after the show. So, okay. as usual, stay put. Uh, just before the very valuable outtakes, we're going to have a short sponsor. Let me work on this. It's probably not going to be the White House or um, Skynet this time around. But as I said, let's uh, let me work on this. But there's still something missing, Martin, namely the pox of the pox. week. So, yes, so, so what is your pox of the week or what are your pox of the week? I'll just go with one, um, which is a, uh, by the way, sorry, before I, Forget this. Uh, did you cut down the thirty-second pause interval so that people get the outtakes a bit quicker? Uh, of course. Okay. Just your checking. wish. Right. You your wish is my command, as usual. Whether it's going to be twenty seconds, twenty-five <laughs> seconds doesn't matter. As long as it's under thirty, consider it done, my my dear Martin. No worries. Thank you. Uh, right, my picks of the week. Right, picks. Um, so one, one, one uh, movie I watched, which um, I liked and disliked for for different reasons. It's called Ready Player One. Basically, a people living in the future, living inside a video. Well, not living inside a video game, but they escape to the video game world because the world is a mess, as even more of a mess than it is now. Um, so the concept is really nice, and the creator of the um, this virtual world. Uh, expires and uh, sets a challenge, go find his Easter eggs and your um, my company will be yours, etc. Anyway, so uh, for, I liked it because of the idea that, you know, um, even though uh, you know, it's, it's a basic video game kind of uh, mantra, you know, that you can escape the real world if it's a bit rubbish. Um, so and they've they've taken that to the next level, right? So people can have uh, interactions in in uh, you know virtual reality gone more real, right? Um, 
but yeah, the execution was a bit poor. So uh, good and bad. Uh, good for its idea, bad for its simplicity, really. There was a similar movie about a female game designer entering her own game, but I can't remember. It's ages ago. Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously the been the likes of, of Tron and... and uh, yeah, but that's what I'm probably... That's not what I'm meaning. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it, it, it'll come back. If In that case, I'm going to put mm-hmm. it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, my pox of the week is actually is actually two two books. Um, one is called He's Back. Essentially, pic- picture a guy called Adolf Hitler. I'm not sure if the name rings a bell. He was some he was some weirdo in the last century, caused a little bit of havoc in, in Europe, which led you, to some minor conflict. You may want to mention he's Austrian as well. Yes, he's Austrian, not German. <laughs> Just in case there's a confusion, um, a very funny book. You'll find the um, the title, uh, including the author, in the in the show notes. Um, he's back. Describes his exploits when he wakes up uh, after the turn of the century in central Berlin and just wondering what the fuck happened. Um, the book goes on that he meets. Actually, a, um, a, a the proprietor of Little Shop, and then gets into politics. All very funny. In case uh, you're into that sort of thing, get the audio version of the book. The book itself is great, but the audio version is even better. A guy called Christoph Maria Herbst, I think is the name, uh, does a really, really great Austrian accent with him. It's absolutely okay. marvelous. Don't miss it. Sorry, is this in German the audiobook, or is there an English? Uh, I think you can get an English version as well. Okay. Uh, certainly, you can get the paper version in English because it has been translated because he, it, it was that it was that <laughs> successful, <laughs> difficult one. Okay, a uh, second pox is actually the Kangaroo Chronicles. It also uh, it describes the exploits of a communist kangaroo sharing a flat with a um, comedian in uh, also in kind of Berlin. And the and the and the fun stuff uh, that they experienced has that book has just been turned into a movie, also very funny. Um, um, and the author, of course, is Mark Uwe Kling. In case uh, ever, anybody is wondering about this, and I think you can get it also in English, Martin, if you have a chance to check it out. Um, any anti anti poxes this week, or should we close the show? No, I think it's going to be a long one anyway, right? With the interview, so yeah. There's one last, yeah. I, I actually I do have an anti-pox. It's called um, audio what? on Linux for a number of reasons. But yes, yes. I think it's probably going to be a recurring theme, isn't it? This may be a recurring pox yeah. or anti-pox of the week. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Leonard, if you're listening, please do get in touch. We have some suggestions for the next version of Pulse Audio. Okay. Other than that, it's it's a don't get me wrong. It's a great system. Don't don't get distracted by the naysayers. Same goes for System D. We love we love we love these pieces of software. And before people now get up to sending me death threats to, um, the, my address is forward slash death forward slash n u l l. So any any hate mail, please um, send it there. Any other constructive criticism as feed, as in feedback, we we do love we do love and welcome feedback mm. at. Feedback, funny enough, at linuxinlogs.eu. That's also the name of the website we are running for the show. And needless to say, you will find us for the time being on Hacker Public Radio, a great community website hosting our show. We have now reached um, a full um, episode status. What's what I'm looking for? A full show status. So we do have our own RSS feed on Hacker Public Radio. Ken, thank you very much for doing this. Much appreciated. You'll find the link in the show notes. And with that, Martin, see you next time around. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the dark side. you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
upon the request of a very special co-host of the show, the outtakes have been brought in by approximately 7.25 seconds. Hope you enjoyed, Martin. Uh, okay. Um, pox, shit, doesn't matter. Okay. Ah, it was quite long anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, we do the pox. Yes. Yeah. We do the pox ourselves. No worries. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we still have to do feedback, Mr. Visser. How are you stuck for time? Feedback? Do we have feedback? Yeah, of course we do have feedback. Oh, the one. Uh, no, two, the, four, the three. three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, let's let's keep on rolling. Um, okay, okay. No breaks. Just keep, just just go ahead. Um, I'm a bit I'm a little bit sad about Arch because that's my favorite distribution. But hey, <laughs> you have to cut your losses somewhere anyway. Um, <laughs> is that what I'm looking for? Probably not. Doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got to together. Ed- yeah. Yeah. Are we you gotta, not an arch maintainer? We got it. Yes, I am. We got to edit this Take out. Take up a Inferno. different hobby. <laughs> okay. Um. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.